Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Sam Grittner is one of the best comedians on Twitter. Don't take my word for it? Okay. Then how about Rolling Stone, The Huffington Post, and famous comedians such as Weird Al Yankovic, who are among the tens and tens of thousands who follow him and have put him on best of lists for the past several years. Grittner also created the parody account Tonight on Girls in 2013 and served as lead writer for Internet Action Force, a short-lived comedy video experiment by the New York Post. He hosts a monthly show in Brooklyn that donates all its proceeds to charity. It's time to feel good while also talking plainly about mental health and addiction. So let's get to it! But Sam Gretner, did you tell this potential employer that you are a reigning Twitter comedian? Um, I didn't have to. The, <laughs> I had six different people interview me, mm-hmm. and uh, which is the most people I've ever had interview me. That's a good sign for any job when six people want to talk to you. Yeah. Six people, I don't even know that six friends of mine want to talk to me. Um, but... Uh, uh, one of them already followed me on Twitter, and so I was like, "That's that's that's," and and was uh, said he was a fan. <laughs> it wasn't a hate follow. Yeah, yeah, which I'm. I know you, I have. Do you do you have hate follows yourself on Twitter? Yes, you. But you know, as a straight white man, it's very few and far between. Mm-hmm. You know, I tweeted something about Puerto Rico. Uh, and Flint, Michigan, a couple days ago, and they still both need help. Yeah, very much so. No matter when you're listening to this, yes. <laughs> so please do what you can. Um, and I don't. Within the first hour, it was just mega people in my mm-hmm. replies, and they were all just saying it's not the federal government's responsibility to help. And I'm like, isn't that kind of what FEMA <laughs> like? Doesn't the F in FEMA stand for federal? And uh, so, I mean, that's mostly where I get it. And, uh, you know, I've been very surprised, actually, by how little hate I receive. Um, But once again, I'm I'm very aware that as a man Mm -hmm. and a white man, a straight white man, uh, it's a very different world for me. Sure. No, do you, you, though, do you follow anyone on Twitter... Oh. That you don't particularly care for, but you just need to see what they're tweeting. Yeah, I'd say about... I'm not going to name names, but uh, there are at least three accounts where I'm mm-hmm. just like, really? I mean, and it's just like... I, but I keep going back. It's, 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 it's like watching a train wreck over and over again. And I could go in and pull people out, mm-hmm. but I'd rather just watch it burn, I guess. No, I blocked a particular uh, federal elected official. Nice. Yeah. And, but then all through my feed, I keep seeing them reply to this individual, but I don't see the tweets. And then it, it gets my curiosity going. Yeah, and actually, uh, the one thing that this brings up for me is that um, uh, I tweeted something at Sean Hannity, like just something about like you look, your face looks like uh, football, uh, pudding football, mm-hmm. which is, you know, pretty, pretty 
low scale. Right. You know, it's not that harsh. He's a, he's a big football guy, though. He, he blocked me. <laughs> and so anytime I see people responding to him, and then mm-hmm. Roseanne, I didn't even tweet anything about her, and mm-hmm. she, she blocked me. And she so, must have known. Yeah. You are thinking bad thoughts. I, well, she knows that I am QAnon, <laughs> and I'm going to spill all the beans about her and her synthesizer that controls the weather. Now, we're, you know, uh, we've been mentioning Twitter a lot in these first few minutes because, I mean, isn't it true that, like, a lot of your comic identity came out of Twitter? Yes. The way people know you, the way people. Very much so. Now, um, that's, not, that's not something as a kid. That's not a dream come true because you wouldn't dream of Twitter being a thing. That's you exactly wouldn't right. even know that this would be a yeah. potential lifestyle. I mean, I started doing stand up when I was seventeen in St. Paul, Minnesota. Okay. And cut my teeth at Acme, which is, you know, one of the best very, very famous clubs. clubs. Well loved uh, by comedians. And yes, and rightly so. Uh, and then also uh, the Mall of America had a place called Knuckleheads. That I went every Tuesday. It's closed now. This is before Rick Bronson's place? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, the House of Comedy is great. My friend Mike Brody runs that. Mm-hmm. And uh, But there was a place called Knuckleheads. Knuckleheads, and it was, was just... Was it in the same location or a different spot? Uh, it was like across from a Hooters. It was, it was on the f- fifth floor, and I feel like the higher up you go, it just it gets worse. <laughs> um, you could still see Camp Snoopy, though, so there, okay. was, some, there was some sunshine. I guess it really is all about location, location, location. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, so I, when I got into stand-up, I, yeah, this was before social media, or right, you know, yeah, it was MySpace, basically, at the okay. time. And um, How many MySpace friends did you have? I just had eight, so it was really easy to make a top eight. <laughs> um, and Tom, oh, my good friend Tom. Yes. Uh, rest in peace. He's laughing now. Yes. <laughs> um, it was, and so I, I... So what did you think when you started as a teenager in Minnesota? What did you envision the career path? The trajectory that I had in mind was build up a name in Minnesota, become a big fish, and then move to either New York or Los Angeles. Okay. No Chicago stop in between? Uh, living in Minnesota, Chicago is too close for my family and also just too cold. Okay. And then... Um, uh, no San Francisco or no San Austin? Francisco. Austin was the other one. And I ended up talking to a bunch of comics who were older than me and who had lived in some of these places. And they basically told me, you should move to New York and then move to L.A. when you have a job waiting for you. Okay. So when did you move to New York? Um, when I was 25, so almost 11 years ago. Okay. So you moved the same time I did, around tw- 2006, 2007? Yeah. So, so when you got here, did you have a plan? Yes, and it imploded immediately. <laughs> Why? Uh, I did a lot of drugs, and for uh. some reason, credit card com- three different credit card companies gave me cards with like a $5,000 max. And uh, right before I left Minnesota, I was spending at least $200 a day on crack and heroin. Oh, wow. And then I also... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you're going to... I learned very quickly, uh, if you do one, you want the other to balance you out. Right. Don't don't do it, though, kids. (laughs) Um, uh, That's that's the whole philosophy behind the eight ball. No. Yes. Um, I don't know. Yeah, no, that, well, so that's when you inject it. 
um, I always needles are always bad. Yeah, I, I, that's I. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be alive if I okay, didn't have so such you're, an aversion. Okay, so you're maxing needles. out your credit cards on on drugs. Yep, and uh, I've had chronic stomach pain since I was 21. So I also spent a lot of money like going to doctors and specialists. And uh, were you were you honest with them about your drug use? Uh, the doctors, no, okay. No. I was going to try and make that sound good. And I'm like, you know, they, none of them are listening. And if they are, they, they deserve to know okay. the truth now. So, so was that also keeping you from going to gigs or were you going to open mics and gigs? I was going, but by the end of it, I burned a lot of bridges. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I was, it'd be, it was, you know, it was like when I was 23, it was about all about the show. Mm-hmm. And then... It became about the show and then the after party. And then by 25, it was like, well, I don't need to go to wait for the after party if I don't go to the show. I can just stay in and just get fucked up. So when you moved to New York at 25, did you even put a toehold into the New York comedy scene or no? I went to like four horrendous open mics and a couple of bringer shows that just absolutely crushed me. And, like, I, I did the Gotham Showcase or whatever where you have to bring, like, <laughs> 10 people who pay $40. Um, so I did stuff like that for about, like, three or four months. And then uh, I ended up declaring bankruptcy. And so okay, that actually, because of that, I uh, that was probably the biggest reason that I turned to Twitter. Because right around that time, Twitter had been around for two years, I think, or, like, a year and a half. And um, so I just I joined it, and then uh, slowly but surely, um, some big names started to follow me, and that's that was the thing for me where it was like, did you did you see Twitter when you joined as a as an avenue for for your jokes as a separate stage, or what did you think when you joined? I saw it as a playground, but in, in no way could I have ever envisioned what it's become. I mean. You know, I I have relationships with uh, some of my favorite comedians. I've met some of my biggest heroes. Uh, The thing I'm still most proud of is Weird Al still follows me. And uh, I got really drunk one night, and I DM'd him, and I asked him for an autograph. And he sent it back, and I still have it framed, and it says, To Sam, my only friend in the world. (laughs) Um... And, like, I still, like, once a year I'll message him and Mm -hmm. just be like, hey, I can't believe you still follow me and I love what you're working on or X, Y, and I just watched UHF again. Like, whatever. Him and emo. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So was Weird Al the first big person to follow? Who was the first big person to follow you? Um, Well, uh, if I'm honest, it it was... Please. uh, Well, it was T.J. Miller. Okay. And um, he was uh, very, very big fan of my work and he was he was really the first person that i would say that got my name out there and um it's just you know i don't want to go too much into i don't know what's going on in his right. life well this isn't about him yeah so i i just i wish him do you do you remember all the, the do you best. remember what it was that you tweeted that got the follow no I, well i had a friend in florida named uh rob beeler who i still have never met who tj followed and okay. so Rob would Rob and I loved each other really weird similar senses of, of humor and so we retweeted each other and it turns out TJ followed him 
And so Rob would retweet me. And so eventually I got into his orbit. Okay. And then um, from there, I started actively, like, once, like, that was the real game changer to me. That's when I was like, okay, this is unprecedented. I don't mm-hmm. know exactly what this is, but there's, there's something here. Did, so did that change your mindset and how you use Twitter? Yes. I got a lot more. I, I got too serious about it, but may, I don't know if that's what's the right too, term. What's too serious? I got very regimented. I would write. I would go home every night, get drunk and stoned, mm-hmm. and write 30 to 50 jokes every night. Wake up the next morning, and when I was sober, I would trim them down to the top eight or ten, and then slow release them every two hours throughout the day, saving the best ones for nighttime. And Why then, nighttime? Um, I just figured that's when people were more likely to be reading. Okay. And then I also eventually, at one point, I figured out what time bars close in Los Angeles. And then I built in a half hour for driving time. Mm-hmm. And so I, my, the thinking behind it was writers, you know, for Conan or family, mm-hmm. whatever guy, whatever show, uh, would go out and have a drink or two. Uh, and then go home and then be more apt, you know, okay, yeah, they're slightly buzzed up. And so if I, you know, couldn't direct message people unless they followed you. And so I would just add people and say, dear, uh, the sulk, uh, <laughs> I think you will, you might enjoy Alex my Sulkin, tweets. writer for family. Guy. Yes. And, um, he was the next like big one that really changed okay. my life. Uh, he was nice enough to bring me on the set of, uh, Ted when they were shooting oh, it. Oh, very nice. And um, and so from there, it was just, you know, I got Family Guy writers. I got uh, Conan writers. I got to go out to Conan uh, like six or eight years ago. And this was before uh, Andy Richter followed me, but uh, I got to sit behind Conan's desk. And so, you know, I always... My trajectory when I started comedy was to, to get famous. I just wanted to be famous enough to do or, or get on Conan. That, that was just it to me. So when you had all these writers following you, when you got to visit the set, did you think, oh, I'm, I'm so close to getting yes. on air? Yes. And, but because, of my, uh, because I was using as much as I okay. was, it was a very distorted reality in the sense that uh, I didn't think I had to work for it. I thought, I thought the door was already open. And in retrospect, um, I had a lot of opportunities for people saying, hey, submit uh, a pilot or some, some different forms of writing. And uh, right, I, There were a few people who got late-night writing jobs through Twitter and yes. writing packets. Um, and, I, but, and so I, I botched those early days. Okay. But in the past two years, I've uh, been asked to submit over 10 different times. Uh, I got asked to... Uh, submit to the opposition show, to Moshi Kasha's problematic, uh, to Jimmy Kimmel, uh, and then a further while back uh, to SNL Weekend Update. Oh, nice! So um, they know my name, and uh, you know I'm just very—I feel like I'm at the gate right now, and uh, I'm just waiting to be let in, but. I'm, I'm not. I'm patient. At what point did the did the girls project happen tonight on girls? I th- oh, that's a good question. I know it's 2013, but where was where was that in terms of all the stuff you've just been talking I about? I feel like that must have been like I have a terrible memory, especially like when right. It comes drugs to and time. alcohol can do that. Yeah. Well, I have it on top of that. So <laughs> just, um, 
I think it was like six or seven years ago. Okay. Uh, I watched, you know, I was a fan of the show uh, during the first season. I really enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. And I ended up getting really high. And I wrote like three or four of the, the fake synopses. And then Rob Delaney favorited one of them. Mm. And I'm pretty sure that's how... He's um, a Twitter elite. Yeah. Lena Dunham followed me mm. and... Uh, oh, Jenny, Jenny Connor? Yes. Jenny Jen, Connor. Thank you. Jenny Connor. <laughs> um, and they were both like... They ended up... So, you know, for like four months after I did the original couple of four, they were like, I, we love these. Do some more. I'm rattled off a bunch more. Lena Dunham followed me. Jenny followed me. They retweeted me. And then I was like, all right, may as well just make this a thing. Mm -hmm. And um, that's that's still interesting to me that that has maintained. Uh, it's like at like I think it's like thirteen or fourteen thousand followers. And uh, I'm I'm really over the past six months I've been thinking about rebooting it or getting it going again and just going even more bizarro. And uh, well, you know, there, there's at least a couple Seinfeld accounts that keep going. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I least. think Seinfeld wasn't even on. Yeah, <laughs> during Twitter. So so yeah. Um, but that was I mean for me there was a big part where I was like, oh, Lena Dunham follows me. And uh, she's going to ask me to write on her show. Like, there was just this huge distortion of reality. And, um, but uh, it's, it's it, I guess it was good because I've learned from it. It's, it, I've been humbled very much over time. Uh, and the people that I see getting writing jobs have been putting in a lot of effort. And, like, when I look at shows like Corporate with, like, Jake Wiseman specifically, like, and all the people that he surrounded himself with and that work on that show, they were shooting sketches and uh, working diligently seven days a week. And it pays off. One break you did get, although it ended up being short-lived, like a lot of web projects, was <laughs> Internet Action Force. Yes. How did that whole thing come about? Um, I, I, know, I, know, I know John DeVore, but... Yeah. Um, I, but you have more <laughs> insight I, into the whole... So, Project. Internet Action Force was a really interesting thing in the sense that uh, we were putting out anti-Trump stuff and very liberal, basically like liberal propaganda, I guess. Um, but we we worked for the New York Post, <laughs> and so um, it was it was like when your your body rejects organs. It was only a matter of time before before one of the Murdochs yeah <laughs> clicked over and said, "What is this?" But I, we lasted for a year and a half, and uh, it was my first job as a lead writer. And, and you worked in the building, yeah. And so that was a, you know I actually saw Sean Hannity. He's a short little fuck of a man, super big shoulders, but he's mm -hmm. he, I, he's like three feet tall and all shoulders, and his pudding <laughs> football head dome. <laughs> And uh, then I think I saw, um, oh, who was the other guy that got outed? Bill O'Reilly? Um, I'm like, no, the other sex Bill scandal other. plagued. Um, it was one of the moguls. Um, oh. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I did see Bill. And, oh, Roger Ailes? Yeah, Roger Ailes. He had, like, 20 security guards around him at all times. Mm -hmm. And then I saw Bill O'Reilly, and just he just does not look like a happy person ever. No. So, 
Congratulations on having money. Right. He has all that money. He has $32 million to give to settlements. Yeah. For nothing he did, of course. No. No. Okay, so you spent a year and change in that building. Yep. Uh, was it 9 to 5, or was it, what kind of hours yeah. did you pull? Yeah, well, it was 9 to 5, but it was also, it was a tough job in the sense that, uh, and this was before even Trump got elected, but, you know, we're, it was the 20, it's the 24-hour news cycle, and so if something happened at 2 a.m., I had to be expected uh, to know about it when I went into the office, or if something happened that morning, and incorporate that. So, how how did, how, how well did you do at keeping up with everything? Did it, was it all based on tw- your Twitter profile being clued into what was happening? Or? Yeah, I mean, and I mean, I did also, you have other ways to you know, I, to I keep up with the zeitgeist? A lot of websites. You know, the longer I was there, I was like, I learned. You know, it's not just Reddit and Twitter, but like go to BBC and go to weird different other countries and like weird science sites where they're working on sex robots and mm. stuff like that. Um, but yeah, uh, for the most part, it was, it was Twitter because that's the nice thing about it is, is that people in my timeline retweet stuff from all over. So I get a, a nice healthy smorgasbord of sure. info. Um, so you're making videos every day. You're, are you also writing essays too, or is it mostly video? It was mostly video. It was wasn't mostly it? video, so it was a lot of scripts, and then uh, we would have um, like animated uh, stuff with you know, and or scrolling words. So um, it was just a. Uh, it was for me. It was a lot of writing. And is then, that how you had the relationship with Sean Crespo and Carol Hartzell? I met them. I uh, I'm not sure. They both work for Full Frontal now with Sam B. Yeah, Carol was actually with Internet Action Force for a I, little bit, I thought, and then she I, left for Colbert, okay. and then she left for Samantha B. Um, and uh, I met them. I probably I, I, I might have gone to Lasers in the Jungle, mm-hmm. and I've known them for ten years, and uh, they are very dear, near friends to me, and I'm just very happy for both of them and all the success that they they currently have they definitely earned it did you feel like despite the uh paradox or the irony of pumping out liberal comedy in a very conservative company did you feel like you guys were successful yeah i mean there's so there's so much content being put out that i don't know what it feels like when you're actually in it making it I was, you know, I'd say in terms 80, of the, the battle for was, views and the battle for clicks and the the amount of stuff that I'm proud of, I would say 80% of it. I thought uh especially towards the end I felt, you know, the the first 6 months I don't think there was really a necessarily a a, a fully formed mission statement. Mm-hmm. We were trying to figure it out as we went. Uh but once we established that, uh there were some really great sketches. Um, and uh, videos that we made, so I'm I'm really satisfied and and proud of it. So when it went away, was there advance warning or we? Uh, I think we're told a week and a half before it ended, okay. and we got a, we got severance. So you know, um, it was. So what did was, you? How did, so how did it hit you personally? Um, I was kind of burnt out from, from being on 24 hours a day. Um, so, but I also, you know, it was, it was great pay. Uh, all the coworkers were great. I can't speak highly enough of John DeVore as a boss. Uh, he's become a, a good friend of mine now. And um, so, uh, 
you know, I also feel though, like the older I get, like everything happens for a reason, and uh, you know, I I had a great time there. I learned a lot, and um, it, it is. I had a great time, and so uh, I didn't. I was blindsided, but that's that's life. And also, like you said, I mean, so many video companies would fold within three months. Yeah, there have been mean, a lot that have come and gone over the last six years. Yeah, and then, I mean, even Funny or Die, you know, the biggest one of all, in, in my view, uh, has, you know, shuttered so many of their offices. So it's, it's Right, they've laid off most of the, their original editorial exactly. staff. So it's mostly just celebrity videos at this point. Exactly. Um, so for the last two years then, what has, what has been your kind of mission in comedy? Well... The the first year, uh, I I had relapsed, and so okay. um, I had a monthly showcase with my friend Pat Tobin at Taste Factory, uh, who's another great friend of mine. Uh, that was a monthly show, uh, and uh, we had five different comedians. I, I basically produced it, mm-hmm. but we had uh, John Early. We had... Um, Brandon Scott Wolf, we we, I, we had really great performers up, and so um, once I started drinking, though, because um, when I relapsed, I I hadn't had a drink for five years. Oh wow! And that's okay. I, I just stopped drinking outside of recovery. I just mm-hmm. stopped. I was smoking pot. Okay. Um, and the marijuana um, maintenance program. Yes, sir. Very much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once I started drinking, uh, I just, I, I could barely hold a job. And so, uh, you I got, weren't one of those messy comedians who somehow still manages to no, have I, gigs. And I mean, if, if, if I could have afforded cocaine, uh, maybe I would have been <laughs> that guy, but I was so broke. I was just drinking, uh, Negro, uh, Damalo? Modelo Negro. Yes. There we go. Uh, at the city winery job, I would go down into uh, the closet room and drink mm. a six-pack during my shift. <laughs> Is that even good for tweets or no? You think so at the time, but then no. Right. And then, uh, especially the, the deeper I get drinking, the more emotional and self-hating I get. What do you think, As since we're both former drinkers, what do you think of the whole romantic romanticization of writers and creative people using drugs or alcohol to fuel the art I think uh, that we are very lucky to be in this era I think that um, Rob Delaney and Amber Tozer are two people that are have inspired me and changed my my outlook on that Um, because I definitely grew up thinking you know as a once again as a white guy Mm -hmm. kurt cobain of comedy and mitch hansen was from minnesota and you know he died tragically yep yeah yeah. he died young and from an overdose and uh so there was a big part of me that was just like i'm live you know live fast die young and and party hard and tell jokes um and i've definitely and i there was a big part of me that thought um I was convinced that I had to be fucked up or high, especially one or I had to not be out of my mind in some way Mm. in order or in pain to create. And I've long 
I've learned that that's just not the case. Right, I mean, the, there, the there is a lot of, of there is a lot of conventional wisdom that still thinks that, though. Yeah, um, that's definitely. I, I think that's still the majority. Um, but I think there are people like like Rob and Amber, and I'm I'm trying to be an advocate. How, how, myself. how, how did you change your mind on that? Ultimately, I mean, ultimately, it was just looking in the mirror and and especially after I relapsed, when I went back and I looked at my writing, I was like, this is just, this is horseshit. And then after two months of sobriety, I read my writing and I was like, I have at least three really good jokes in here out of 500 that I've written. Um, and so it's just, uh, I'm, I try and live my life by being as completely as honest as possible, especially with myself. And, you know, I look at the results and, you know, um, I feel like the the stuff I've put out in the past eight months uh, is just there's no question it's it's better quality. So I know you talked earlier about only realizing in hindsight that you had opportunities and you either messed them up or overlooked them. Yes. Um, how do you how do you go about not fixing that but moving forward? try to keep your eyes open for for fresh opportunities so i tweeted a while back when i was really depressed one day i was like any professional writers out there i i just want to quit i want to throw in the towel mm-hmm. and alex bays the head writer for uh seth meyers repl- ad- publicly added me and he was like i didn't get my first writing job till i was uh, i think it was 38 and I just turned 36. Okay. And so, and Alex, I think, is one of the absolute funniest people I know. Also. Yeah, he was Weekend Update yeah. head writer when Seth was there. And yeah. And he moved with Seth over to Late Night. And uh, he was the one who asked me to submit to Weekend Update. And so um, I've reached out to him, and that's something that I've learned. I've said, because uh, Seth Myers is definitely my number one choice for if I could have a dream writing job. Uh, and so I said, next time you guys are having submissions, can I submit and he said yeah I'll definitely keep you in mind and, and put you in the loop and uh, I have uh, a decent relationship with Molly McKierney uh, from, from Kimmel yeah uh, Jimmy Kimmel's wife and head writer of the show and so um, for me now it's just it's like I said I, I know uh, the, the way I view myself now is uh, I'm a known quantity I don't think and I'm also very proud of my writing. It's, mm-hmm. it's very weird. It's not for everybody. And so when I don't get a writing job now, instead of saying, oh, I fucked up or this and that, I just tell myself it wasn't the right fit and just keep going. And then on top of that, uh, I am trying to create some opportunities. Uh, I can't get into too many specifics, mm-hmm. but um, I do have a couple of writing projects that I've been working on that I'm very, very excited about. What, what can you tell me about your uh, philosophy toward Patreon and crowdfunding? I know you do some things on Patreon that other comedians don't do. So, um, you know, I definitely... I feel like I've asked way too many times on Twitter for for help Mm -hmm. uh, financially. And so uh, Patreon, I also had this thing where growing up to me, you know, it was very like the whole idea of you're selling out if you're asking people for money for your art. 
Um, so I think Patreon to me now is just a really good balance where it's like, hey, if you really like my stuff and you have a dollar or whatever you can mm-hmm. spare and want to support me, then in exchange for that, I write. It's currently been a monthly newsletter, le- newsletter and it has mental health tips. Sometimes I tell st- stories about celebrities that I've waited on. Um, and uh, just random thoughts. And so uh, I'm still trying to figure out kind of what my mission statement is for that. But it's it's a lot of mental health uh, tips and talking about addiction and just kind of cheerleading anyone else out there who's going through the same stuff. Okay, so if there's a 17-year-old in the Twin Cities now or some other smaller market city who's creative and funny and trying to figure out what to do with their life, what would you tell them? I would still say, you know, uh, I only perform three to five times a month at max, which I would say don't don't do that. If you're really committed to comedy and stand-up, I, I don't understand why I don't do it more, aside from the fact that I'm 36, and at the end of the day, I'm very tired, and I just want to watch. <laughs> just wait until you get to 46, Sam. Oh, God. So. I just it it doesn't get better the marvelous unless you like sleep, and then it gets better. Yes, <laughs> you um, get more sleep. I'm 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 stoked for that. <laughs> um, no, uh, I hit from 17 to 19. I was doing at least two open mics every week. Uh, I mean, I was doing probably five to seven open mics a week, and so um, you go there, you get established. And search out for the people that you have stuff in common with, and especially in the sense of um, if if you think they're funny, but also a good person. You know, I've been very lucky. You know, aside from Sean and Carol, um, Abby Crutchfield was one of the first people I've met here. Uh, Lane Moore, uh, and the people that I've surrounded myself with. Um, they are all of the same mindset in that, and it's the same mindset that. In Minnesota, the comedians that I that were older and mm-hmm. booking gigs and headlining uh, would say, um, "If if I think you're pretty funny, I'm going to try and help you because I think first of all, there's room in the boat for everybody, uh, and uh, you know I don't view you as I don't view other people as my competition. I'm my own competition. If I don't get a writing job, it's not because they're filling quotas." Or uh, because somebody, I mean, sometimes, yes, it's like my Harvard buddy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but for the most part, it's, it's quality. And there's so much more quality coming out because of social media. And so, but I'd also, so I'd say, go to open mics, perform as much as possible. Uh, but yeah, definitely have a Twitter account, play around with it. Don't take it too seriously. Um, but f- especially now that a lot of people have their DMs open, fucking reach out. Because that's been the the most bonkers thing to me. Right. Is that I have reached out uh, to... I've I've talked to Henry Winkler. I've talked to Andy Richter. (laughs) I've talked to Patton Oswalt. Aisha Tyler. I mean... And uh, I'm from Minnesota. There's this amazing rapper named Atmosphere who I became friends with through Twitter. And... um, That's that's not something you could have done a generation ago. Yeah. Become friends and... Pen pals yeah. electronically with these people, and I've, I'm trying to move out to California in the next uh, year, year and a half, and I already have friends out there waiting for me that I've met through Twitter, and the people who I think are really good at it, they're really good at it because they're 
they shine their personality their true personality shines through mm-hmm. you can tell if they're a good person or not and um, and then I've also been fortunate enough that if they're in New York I've met a lot of them and hung out with them and so yeah I mean I talked to my friend Danny Fernandez uh, the other day for like three hours I call her like once a week we've never met we've known each other for five years <laughs> and I'm better friends with her than some of uh, some people I've known for 20 years and so I mean it's just wild to me it's just absolutely wild and and as as much as Twitter can be <laughs> I'm trying to search for the words <laughs> frustrating mm-hmm. and make you so mad you especially with the news twice the <laughs> bang for your no bucks um, uh, so yeah my advice is just is pursue it passionately and, and have fun because at the end of the day especially for me now if, if I never make it past where I'm at some of my writing I've had people reach out to me uh, and tell me that my writing has helped them in a really, really dark moment of their life. And that, to me, is better than being on Conan. And so I still would love to be on Conan. Uh, but um, I'll put in a word with J.P. Buck Thank for you. you. <laughs> Much appreciated, Sean. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's my advice, is just have throw yourself into it. Well, Sam, it's... Uh I enjoy following you online, but it was a it was a true joy to to get to sit with you and talk with you in person. Uh, the pleasure is shared, and uh, I just I I really appreciate you having me on. So thank you. Thanks, Sam. You're welcome. This episode of the Comics Comic presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. Theme music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.